Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for coming and joining us this morning as we gather here for worship. It is the most beautiful season of the year and an opportunity for us to gather together and to celebrate this beauty and, the, and certainly the, the message that comes to us from it. And I thank you for being here to be part of what we are doing today. If you are here for the very first time, welcome. We are glad that you have come to join us. There should be a Connect card in the pew rack for you to tell us that you have been here. We hope you will take the opportunity to do that. If you have prayer concerns, things you need us to know, write it on that same card, drop it in the offering plate, and we'll be in touch with you to try to respond in whatever way that you would like for us to. If you're joining us via live stream, welcome. We're glad that you're with us as well. You can go to the address you'll see on the screen and do everything that I have just said, but we're glad that you are with us, and if there are things that we need to know from you, write us and let us know, and we'll try to respond to you. But we are glad that all of you have come to gather with us here today. Our service of the Advent wreath is printed in your bulletin and will be on the, on, the, on the projection. Let's join this together. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord has offered this promise. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, for they trust in you. The psalmist said, I will listen to what God the Lord says, for he promises peace to his people. Paul said, aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. May the peace of God be with you. Today we light the candle of peace. May the light of God's peace be with us. The peace that passes all understanding comes to us in the babe of Bethlehem. Thanks be to God. few moments this morning to be quiet and to reflect on the real beauty and the truth of this season. Let your glory that shone on the shepherds on the hillside shine on us and illuminate our lives with peace and joy and love and with hope. Enable us even this hour to see beyond the commonplace and to get in touch with the eternal that has visited us in Jesus Christ. Teach us to listen to your still, small voice and to abandon ourselves to higher ways than the ones we have followed. O oh God, let Christ enter into this building even as he entered the stable of Bethlehem and reveal his glorious presence to us and on us that we may be changed and follow him forever. Come, O oh come, Emmanuel, into our hearts we pray. Amen. Pray together. Precious God, thank you so much for bringing us here today together to worship you. Lord, as we fix our eyes on you over the coming weeks and that you are our hope and that you are our peace, Lord, we know that you're also our Savior and that you came to die for us. And God, right now we just thank you so much for that gift. And so, Help us to calm our hearts and, and calm our minds and 
help us to relax through the busyness of this season, Lord, and just really focus on you, that in the next few minutes we hear the, the message and the lessons that you want us to hear, just so that we can always keep you in the front of our thoughts. Lord, help us to be a light to others for you. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Maybe see. scripture lesson today comes from the gospel of Mark chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. I've been very intentionally looking at some passages this Advent season that we don't usually look at during the Advent season. This would be one of those. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, let your spirit fall upon what we are doing here today. Help us to have open minds and open hearts that we might feel your presence as we gather here and that you might be able to fill our hearts with your love and with your grace and with your hope so that we might be empowered with the Christmas spirit, not just today and not just in this season, but through every moment of our lives. Make it so, O Lord, for it's in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Last week we looked at another one of the of script passages of Scripture from the Gospel of Mark. That one didn't quite fit the traditional Advent themes that we usually look at during the course of this season. This week we're doing the same thing but in a different way. Last week we looked at Mark 13, 32 through 37, and we talked about the importance of being prepared for the coming of Christ. Today we're looking at John the Baptist, the one that God sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. This isn't a passage that we usually look at during this season. It's not about Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger. It's not about shepherds and angels and stars shining in the sky. It's not about the stuff that we usually look at year after year. This passage of Scripture is about John the Baptist, and John was just different. John was called to be a prophet, but if you look at all the Old Testament prophets, John's not exactly like them either. In fact, generally speaking, John wasn't quite like anybody. The religious leaders actually thought John was a religious nut job. John lived in the desert. He, he wore uncomfortable clothes on purpose. His favorite food was bugs and honey, and he wasn't known for being the cleanest guy in town. I'm thinking about taking that up as my way of living. How, how, how will that fit you as pastor of a church? Most of us probably wouldn't have picked John to be the guy that was going to prepare the way for Jesus, but John's the guy that God picked to do that. But he apparently forgot to tell John that he needed to read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because John stunk at that. 
He had, was an individual who was pretty much the opposite of everything that Dale Carnegie says you're supposed to be if you're going to be a successful leader in the world. The truth is, in some ways, John was the opposite of Jesus. John not only didn't dance at parties, but he wouldn't have gone to a party, and he certainly wouldn't have turned water into wine for no reason at all except to keep a wedding party going for a young couple who was about to have the best day of their lives spoiled. In John's mind, life was far too serious to be doing stuff like that. John didn't spend time with little children, and he didn't call thieving tax collectors to be his disciples, and he certainly didn't hang around with prostitutes and sinners. Jesus and John were cousins. They apparently visited each other as they were growing up, but when they became adults, they were very different people. John was the last prophet of the old age. Jesus was the coming Savior of the new age, and that by nature made them different people. John was loud. He was intimidating. He called a spade a spade. John was kind of like the old-fashioned evangelist who you had come in to do the revival service, and before the revival services were over, the evangelist had kicked everybody in the shins with his preaching. John didn't pull any punches, and he was, didn't take a lot of care of what he thought about things in life. He preached about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and he told everybody exactly what sin looked like. He, he called out the sins of the common people, the government, the priests, and the king, and the government, the priests, and the king hated him for it. But the common people loved John. They flocked to John. They loved his no-nonsense preaching, and they loved that he stood on the street corners and he called out the sins of their leaders, and they loved his call to baptism as a sign of repentance from sin. John was the first person to use baptism as a turning point in life. He was the first person to baptize, but he was the very first one to use baptism as a sign of repentance and as a turning point from sin. Just in case you didn't grow up in church like I did, repentance means a radical change of direction. It's a very churchy word that means a radical change of direction. It means to turn away from sin and turn toward God to pick a new direction for your life. John made baptism the turning point of repentance. It was an outward and visible sign of turning toward God. People would confess their sins. They would be symbolically cleansed of their sins by being baptized in waters. And then they would go out from there to turn toward God and to try to follow God's teachings. That was new. It was radical. And the Jewish leaders hated it. But the people not only loved what John was doing, but they came in droves to be baptized by John. John preached a message of repentance, but he also did something else. John was very careful to make sure he proclaimed the coming of the Messiah because that was his call. John knew that God was about to do something through Jesus that was going to shake the foundations of the world. And God called John to tell the people that the Messiah had arrived and that they needed to pay attention. And John succeeded at that because he did three things that are just as important today as they were 2,000 years ago when John first did them. The first thing that John did to prepare the way for Jesus is he lived a godly life. 
John was living in a time that was full of corruption. The government was corrupt. The temple was corrupt. The palace was corrupt. The business world was corrupt. So John decided to prepare the way for Jesus by preaching against that corruption and by living a life that was the opposite of the corruption that they were seeing. John's life was an example of godliness. He was honest. He was straightforward. He was compassionate. He was kind. He would stand on the street corners and preach against sin. And when people came to him and said, then what should we do? John would look at them and say, if you have two shirts and your brother has none, give them one. He had a compassion and a kindness about him that grabbed everyone's attention and made them listen to what he had to say. John showed up living an honest and godly life. The people were thrilled by what they were seeing and hearing in this man. John was a breath of fresh air compared to the priests at the temple, and they couldn't get enough of this man. John was a good man. He was utterly fearless when it came to speaking the truth, and that godliness made people listen to John's word. I grew up in a very different day and age than this one. Sometimes I tell stories and young people come to me and they just can't believe that I'm telling the truth. That happened here about 15, maybe even 20 years ago at the church when I told a story and some college students came to talk to me about it. This was the story. My dad walked into our hometown bank one time and he borrowed $10,000 to renovate our house on absolutely nothing but his word. He walked in the back door, bank president and a couple of vice presidents were standing there. They were friends of dad. He walked in, started chatting with them. He told them why he was there and what he wanted. The president of the bank looked at my dad and said, that's fine, Jay. We'll go ahead and put the money in your account so you can go buy the materials. Just drop by sometime next week and sign the loan papers for us. Go to any bank in Blacksburg tomorrow and give that a try and see how that works for you. I don't care who you are or where you're from. That ain't going to happen today, but it happened back then. The reason it happened in 1973 is because my dad was a man who had earned the trust of the people. They cared about him and they believed in him because they had watched the way they lived. Daddy paid his bills on time every time. If he made somebody a promise, he kept his word. He helped people when they needed help. He stood up for what he believed. All of that earned my dad a good reputation in our town. If daddy walked in and said the sky was falling, people started getting under the desk. They didn't look out the window. Why? Because he lived a life that created trust. And people trusted him because of it. That's what John the Baptist did. He lived a life that made people trust him when he said, there is one coming who is more powerful than I am. I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That sounded ridiculous to the people who were hearing it for the first time. But the people believed John when he said it because John had lived a life that made people trust what he was saying to them. They believed in John and therefore they believed in his message. Our world cannot argue with a godly life. People can argue with the Bible. They can argue with theology, but nobody can argue with the changed and godly life. They may not understand it. They may not even like it, but they can't argue with it. And a truly godly life can lead people to the change that God wants to see in the world in which we live. 
In the 1960s, a news reporter for the, for the French communist newspaper decided that he was going to do an in-depth study of a group of Roman Catholic nuns who were working in Paris. Pierre Giraud was convinced that they were doing the good work that they were doing for no reason at all except they wanted people to give money so they would have money to live on. So he went to those nuns and he asked the nuns if he could go with them as they were doing their work and he was utterly astonished when they said yes. On the third day of his visit, someone walked up to one of the young nuns that was in the group. They were standing out on the street. Someone came to them, and they told them about a man who was living in a dilapidated basement apartment in one of the worst sections of the city. This man was sick, and he was dying, and he was needing help. So that nun and Pierre Giraud went down to that building, and they found this man living in a a nasty, vermin-infested apartment. The man was lying on a bag of, on a bundle of rags that was supposed to be a very poor substitute for a mattress, and this man was sick, and he was shaking all over. This man man was struggling because he had been addicted to drugs. He was addicted to alcohol. He had almost nothing to eat. He was absolutely filthy. So the nun went in. The first thing she did was she fixed him some food to be able to eat. Then she got a bowl of warm water, and she started bathing him. When she did, the man jerked up. He started crying. He looked at the nun, and he said, Sister, I'm scared. When he did, that young, refined, very cultured nun pulled that filthy man up into her arms. She held him like he was a child, and she looked at him, and she said, Don't be afraid. God loves you, and so do I, and we are going to take care of you. You will never have to be alone again. When Pierre Giraud wrote his article a few days later, it was an amazing article that came out. He wrote, That wretched hovel of an apartment became a corner of heaven that day, because of that godly nun as she showed love to that filthy man. He said, I've tried for years to deny the existence of God, but after seeing God's love in the squalor of Paris through the life of that godly young nun, I must say, I believe. That's what John did in Jerusalem. He lived a life that was so godly, people couldn't deny that it was from God. And that life helped people to prepare for the coming of Jesus to our world. The second thing that John did to try to prepare the way for Jesus was he was willing to challenge the sin of the world. It's not a good thing that guilt and shame has almost disappeared from our society these days. It makes it much, much harder for us to try to call out the sins that we see and to try to turn things around. But that doesn't mean that the church shouldn't try to do that because repentance is a key component of having a relationship with God. Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry when we get caught cheating on our taxes or we get caught cheating on our, on our spouse or our significant other. Repentance is choosing to turn and go in the positive direction that Jesus is trying to set out for us. It's choosing what is right and following it intentionally. Repentance is a key component to everything that we need to do and we need to focus on it. John's message 
wasn't just about not doing sinful things. It was about turning to the new Messiah and trusting that his way was a better way than anyone had ever seen before. Jesus was coming with a brand new message of forgiveness and hope, and repentance was the decision to turn toward that man, to turn toward that message, and to believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. John wasn't calling people to look back on what had happened in the past. He was calling people to look up towards God and then look to the future with hope and to believe that Jesus Christ was that future. Being right was to follow Christ. True repentance means being willing to confront sin, both our personal sin and the sin of the world around us, and then to, to bring it to, to, to the world with love and with grace. John had the courage to do that, even when it was costly. King Herod was about as vile a person as you could ever find. He was a man who murdered two of his own brothers and one of his own sons because he thought they were about to challenge him for his throne. Another of the things that he did, and the one that got John in trouble, was Herod seduced his other brother's wife, and he committed adultery with her. Then he brought her to the palace, and, and he moved her in to live with her outside of marriage. And the people on the street were infuriated that the religious leaders were not challenging this. They were not willing to confront Herod at all. Now, in defense of the religious leaders, they knew that if they confronted Herod, they were going to die. That's why they didn't. But this wild preacher from out in the wilderness went right in the town. He went down to the palace. He stood right outside Herod's open window, and he denounced the king and his behavior in the name of the Lord. Sure enough, it got him arrested. It eventually got him executed. But John took a stand for what was right, even though he knew it was going to cost him. And John's courage and his willingness to challenge sin made him a person that people believed when he said, there is one coming that is more powerful than I. There are few things that are more powerful than a godly example of truth. Martin Luther King Jr. is a primary example of that. The man stood up for what was right. He knew from the day he started that it was going to be costly, but it was still the right thing to do, and he lived a life that was godly and courageous, and people saw it, and it changed things. That's what John was doing here. Folks, there are a lot of things wrong in our society these days. There are broken homes. There's an increase in violence. The FBI says that we average a mass shooting in this country every day in one form or the other. There's dishonesty. There's deceit in government. Politicians who are willing to, 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 to support the unsupportable in life for no reason at all except to get reelected. There's a lack of integrity in business. There's the decline of the church. There's decay of sexual morality. How long could this list be if we just kept going with it? If the church doesn't challenge the wrongs of the world, who is going to do that? But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus while we're doing it. <coughs> Because it's easy for us to let our personal prejudices and our pet peeves in life get in the way of the compassion of Jesus. We need to have the courage to call the world to repentance and rightness, but we need to do it in the right way, and we need to do it very carefully, and that's what John did. 
He challenged sin the right way, even when it wasn't popular, even when it was going to be costly to him. And doing the right thing made people believe him when he told people that Jesus was the Messiah. And that leads to the third thing that John did that convinced people to believe. The third thing was everything that John said and did pointed toward Jesus. John's ministry was never about John. It was about Jesus. There is one coming, and I am not worthy to tie his sandals. John's entire life pointed toward Jesus. John's clothes were strange. The way, where he lived was strange. What he ate was strange. What he said was strange, and his courage was strange. But all of it got people's attention. And when they started listening to him, John pointed to Jesus every time. And then... When the people started asking, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? John put his own ego in neutral and he said, no, I am a voice crying in the wilderness. I've come to prepare the way for the Lord. John's purpose was to prepare people to meet Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia is one of the largest churches in the world. Till very recently, 43,000 people a week attended that church, and over 150,000 people attended worldwide in all of their mission sites and the things that they were doing. Hillsong has been a very successful ministry in a country where the church has been in decline for years, but that church was very badly wounded, and their witness was very badly wounded this past year when it was discovered that their founding pastor, Brian Houston, had tried to cover up the fact that his father had sexually molested a child in the church's children's ministry, and Brian himself had been having two extramarital affairs, apparently at the same time. Brian resigned as the lead pastor of that church, and a new team was put in place to try to lead that church. But that scandal has rocked that church, and it has really damaged that church's witness in Sydney. Somebody recently asked one of their teaching pastors at the church, Lucinda Dooley, about that scandal that had happened. And when they did, she got this very sad look on her face, and she said, Brian Houston forgot that everything we do is about Jesus, not about us. If a preacher is actually a true preacher, if they are preaching the truth, they're going to be pointing toward Jesus every step of the way. They're going to want people to lose sight of them and, and to listen to the message of God and to, and to see Jesus through that message. Don't ever listen to my heavy southern accent. Don't look at my clothes or my shiny bald head or don't look at, at my, my style and, and don't, don't look at my education and, and don't, don't do any of those things that would distract from what I'm saying because what I'm saying is Jesus is the answer. It's about Jesus. We're trying to point to Jesus. John lived a life that pointed toward Jesus every time. His ministry was never about him. And that's what we can take away from this passage of Scripture today. If we'll repent and turn to Jesus, everything in our lives can change for the better. We can have the spirit of Christmas not only in this wonderful season, but in every day of the year. And then we can carry that spirit of Christmas into the world in such a powerful way that people wonder, 
what's so different about them and what's different about the way they live, what's different about the way they talk, what's different about the way they act. We can carry that spirit to our jobs, to, to our homes, to our churches, to our friends, to our family, to the world. We can be the spirit of Christmas if we will repent and turn toward the Christ of Christmas. If Advent teaches us anything, it teaches us this. The birth of the Christ child changed everything. And everything it changed, it made it better. That's what Advent can do for us, folks. If we'll accept Christ into our hearts and if we'll try to live a godly life as we turn, that challenge can come to our souls and the love of God can be born to us. Let's pray together. Holy God, we come to you today. And I pray that we are open to everything that you want to give us. That we are open to your grace. <clears throat> that we are open to your love. That we are open to the peace that passes all understanding. None of us are coming to you as perfect people. John didn't come to you as a perfect person. But John did the best he knew how to do. And when it came time for John to fade into the, to the memory, John was more than willing to do that because he knew the Messiah had come and it would change things. Lord, give us the courage to turn to you today and say, Lord, I know you're what's missing in my life. I know that you are what I need. And I'm asking you to come and live inside my heart recreate me from the inside out give me a christmas spirit today and every day that i live and help me to know that in you christmas can be something that i believe and do and live every day of my life come lord help us not just to have you live in us but help us to live you to the world so the world can see what advent really means for it's in your name we pray Amen. If you've come today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, come and let us know that today and we'll help you with the next steps. If you want to join our church and be part of our mission, come and let us know and we'll help you with that as well. As we leave this world, we're going into a world that's not the most peaceful place, but we have the message of peace. Let's make sure and try to live it and speak it as we go. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all.